want to take some time to focus our hearts on how Christmas fits into the larger story of our salvation. If you want to follow along uh, in our chair Bibles, I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. If you're using, again, one of the blue Bibles, it'll be on page 974. And as you turn there to help focus our thoughts tonight on Christmas, I want to begin by thinking about Christmas and the calendar year. There can be a really nice feeling to ending our calendar year with Christmas. So if you're in a position like me, school for the kids has come to an end for the year. Outside of traveling and any hosting duties, things tend to slow down. There is a time where we, as both people who go to church and people who just live in this country, take time to recognize the change of season. And again, there's something nice to ending the year this way. But on the other hand, the fact that we celebrate Christmas at the end of the year, because the Bible does not specify what time of year it was, If you want to go down on a rabbit trail on the internet, just look up when was Christmas. Good luck. You're going to get to like the fifth O in Google search. But one of the reasons this isn't helpful is that Christmas is not the end of the story. Notice in our reading, we're reading from Luke chapter 2. There are many other chapters after Luke chapter 2. And when we think of winding down towards Christmas, it would be very easy to forget that Christmas is really the beginning of the story of Jesus. It's the first chapter. The first chapter that leads to Jesus' ministry, where he preached throughout the country, healed people, helped people, taught people, and ultimately ending with the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. Sealing many of the promises made at the time Jesus was born. So to help us tonight remember that Luke, or that Christmas, specifically Luke 2, is the beginning of the story, I want to go into the epistles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. These verses are written after Christmas, after the original Christmas, and so they look backwards. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us how to understand Christmas. Why it had to be that way, and what God was doing and ultimately did through Jesus Christ. So tonight, looking at what you might call the shortest Christmas story in the Bible. And it's so concise, even you can memorize it. Even I can memorize it. We're going to answer some questions about Christmas and see the true purpose of Christmas. So let me read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. 
and then we'll take some time to understand it for our lives today. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might have that we might receive adoption as sons. So the first question I want us to see tonight is this. When was Jesus born? What does the text say? But when the fullness of time had come. When was Jesus born? Exactly when God wanted it to happen. In this phrase of timing, we see that Christmas was no accident. That it was a part of God's sovereign plan. Nothing that happened in the life of Jesus was simply an accident. Over the time in the history of the church, there have been good guesses as to why God sent Jesus at that certain time. And there are some very good guesses. They're very educated guesses. But in trying to figure out, well, was it because the roads were so good and because everybody spoke Greek and it was a time where there was relative peace at the time? God sent his son. Because God was actively working in history. You cannot read the Christmas story with seeing a God who loves a wicked people, an undeserving people, who did not wait for us to take the initiative, but in his sovereignty and in his power took the initiative. God is the active agent here. Again, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. In Christmas, God is at work. So that's when Jesus was born. The other question that we need to ask is how was Jesus born? Because these verses tell us about the way in which Jesus was born. Again, look at verse 4. Well, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. How? Born of a woman, born under the law. I want to take those two parts there, one by one. First, born of a woman. Jesus was truly human. Jesus was born. There's an old heresy that was condemned many centuries ago called docetism, and the idea was Jesus just seemed human. He just appeared. Maybe, maybe they thought he was a hologram before people knew what holograms were. But no, Jesus was truly born of Mary. Jesus was a person. But why? Why would God do that? The reason that God would do that is because for Jesus, for his death to mean anything for us, he had to be our substitute. And to be our substitute, he needed to be of the same humanity as us. 
Why is it important that Jesus was born of a woman? Because that is the only way he could be your substitute for your sin. It's the only way he could step into your place, pay the price, pay the penalty that you and I deserved. Jesus was born as a baby to take our place on the cross. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus was born to have the same humanity as us so that as our substitute, he could be our Savior. Secondly, how was he born? He was born under the law. If when Paul says he was born of woman, that is the same humanity, if he's born under the law, Jesus is born under the same standard as us. One author writes it this way, that Christ entered by birth into an inherited obligation to obey the law of God. What the Bible is very clear is that we are the creations of a holy, omnipotent God. And that in our sin, by nature and by choice, we rebel against him in every sin that we commit, and that all of us are guilty of that sin. All of us are guilty of breaking God's law. Paul writes earlier in the book of Galatians, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. He also writes in Romans chapter 3, What then, are we Jews better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None of us lives up to the holy law of God. All of us are guilty. All of us are unrighteous. For us to be saved... God's justice must be satisfied. To do that, Jesus was born under the law. Because the big difference between us and Jesus is that while we live under the law, we sin under the law. But he did not. He lived a perfectly righteous life. Life. He obeyed God's commands where we could not. And so if being born of a woman allowed him to be the person who paid for our sins, being born under the law allowed him to make the payment for our sins. Unlike us, Jesus lived perfectly according to God's law. He was able to be the perfect once-for-all sacrifice because he never sinned. And because he lived a perfectly righteous law, those who belong to him can be made righteous and reconciled to God.
And this leads us to the final question that Paul answers in these verses, summarizing the Christmas story. And that is, why was Jesus born? Let's look at verse 5. We're going to see some great purpose words in your Bible here. Get ready to underline them. God sent forth his Son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now to understand verse 5, there is going to be this overarching metaphor that Paul has used already in the book of Galatians of using the metaphor of the slave market of his time in history. Now in that system, you could purchase your freedom if you were a slave because many people at that time were slaves because of debt because there were no bankruptcy laws. The other way that this could happen is you could have a family member pay for you and you would become adopted into their family. And we see these two ideas of both redemption, of being bought and being adopted in verse 5 here. So let's first look at that first phrase, to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem and redemption are great Christian words out of our Bible. Let's take a moment to think through what they mean because we don't normally use them when we're talking about normal things of life. The word redeem means to buy back. So the one place you might see this is if you actually read the fine print of a coupon. And it'll say, to redeem coupon. This is not that you're going to take the coupon to church. No. What happens with a coupon is that the store is buying it back from you. And you get that credit because they're buying that piece of paper back from you. The idea is of a debt that needs to be paid. Something that needs to be paid for. We were under the law and guilty of breaking it. We needed our debt of sin against God to be paid. Jesus came as a baby and lived a perfect life on earth so that he could one day die in our place so that our debt could be paid and we could be set free. And when Jesus pays your debt, you are free. You're no longer enslaved to your sin. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You are free and you have life. Because he is perfect, his sacrifice for us does not fail, never runs out. There is no debt of sin that Jesus cannot pay for. And while we did not deserve it, by God's grace and through faith in Christ, those who had a debt that could not be paid were redeemed, bought back by their Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, we're reminded here, don't just think 
of Jesus as the cute baby in your nativity set. Remember, that was just the first chapter. He's not just a cute baby in a barn. Jesus is the Savior who pays the debt of our sins so that we can become children of God. And that's the next metaphor we see in the text. So he redeems us, he buys us back. But then also we see in verse 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Through the work of Christ, we are adopted into God's family. Before Christ, we were sinful rebels and enemies of God. But through Christ, we are adopted children of God. And when you are adopted into someone's family, especially back in the ancient world, there were legal privileges and benefits of being in someone's family. And so tonight, I want us to see what do we get when we are adopted into God's family. The first thing I want us to understand about our adoption as children of God is that we securely belong to God. To borrow language from what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, we are no longer enemies of God, but are now a part of his family. We were slaves because of our sin, but through Christ we are God's children. And just like that bond of adoption, it is a secure gift Because we are not in the family because of our performance. We did not earn our way into God's family. Because if it were based on our performance, we would lose our status. But because it is a gracious, sovereign act of God on our behalf, our adoption is secure. When you are in God's family, you are in his family. No amount of sin, no power that exists, both seen and unseen, can separate you from the adoptive love of God. Secondly, as being adopted into God's family, we have the Holy Spirit. When we are adopted by grace through faith, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He supports us and empowers us to follow Jesus. He is, connects us to the Father. Look at the next verse, Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Again, when you are reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ, you have his spirit living in you through which you can cry out to the God of the universe, Abba, Father. And thirdly, we have the inheritance of eternal life. Again, stretching this family metaphor of adoption that we see in verse 5. 
We also see in verse 7 this idea of inheritance. That just as a child receives an inheritance from parents, in the same, day, same way when we are adopted into God's family, we also have an inheritance, the inheritance of eternal life. Look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When you are adopted into God's family, you have the eternal inheritance of life with God in heaven forever. And again, because it comes through God's adoption of you, that gift, that inheritance is secure. It is yours. It is secured by Christ. It is not secured by your ability to be a good person. It's not your performance that makes you an heir, just as when you are in a family. It's not your performance in that family that makes you an heir. You're an heir because of you, who you are. And through Christ... All of us, every single person here, can be one of God's adopted children. All of us, because Jesus was born and died and rose again and ascended, all of us can be redeemed. All of us can be adopted through repenting of our sins and placing our personal trust in Jesus Christ. That's the full story. The full Christmas story in two very short verses. Again, Christmas morning was just the beginning. Jesus wasn't born so that we could just have a holiday at the end of the year. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of the story, not the end. Jesus was born to be our substitute. Jesus was born to be the perfectly righteous keeper of the law. Jesus was born to redeem sinners who owed a debt of sin they could not repay. Jesus was born so that redeemed sinners who were enemies of God could be adopted into God's family and have the guaranteed inheritance of eternal life. This is the story of Christmas. It doesn't end with a baby. It's a baby who grows up to save his people from their sins. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this Christmas Eve time and Christmas morning tomorrow that we celebrate that you did not leave us in our sin that you sent your Son 
to be our Savior. God, that we would remember that Christmas is but the beginning of the story. A story that finishes with Jesus dying and rising and ascending so that we would be redeemed and that we would be adopted as your sons and daughters. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.